I want to try to live in a new way. And from one moment to the next, I literally just flipped another chapter of my life. I haven't gone back. And now it's like that old version of myself. It almost feels like a different life where I don't even think of myself as a recovering addict or anything like that. It was just like, I did that for a while and now it's done. Yeah. And now I'm living a new life. Diego Perez, welcome to the show. Thank you, Christy. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. I am so excited to have you here. For those of you who don't know, Diego is a poet, a meditator, a speaker, and a New York Times bestselling author under the pen name Young Pueblo, which is what most of you have probably seen or heard. She has amassed over 3 million people, I think I saw, as of maybe what I read, but probably more now online on socials, wildly popular. His work, his writing has been shared by so many people for so many years now. And you focus on self-healing and healthy relationships and you are a light in the world and on the internet. So thank you so much for joining us. Wow, that's so kind of you. Thank you for such a warm reception. Yeah, I have to be candid that, you know, we're talking and people are maybe listening, but we've been friends for a while. So this is like a nice, I don't know, like a homecoming what we haven't met before actually on video. So this is pretty cool. No, it really is. I remember when I first started and I had already seen your stuff. Did you start? I think I read in 2015. Yes. That means you started posting very, on social. Very, very early 2015. Okay. So I started around 2018. And I remember, I think you interacted with one of my posts, or maybe I followed you or you followed me. I'm pretty sure I had been following you for a while. But I was like, oh my gosh, Young Pueblo just liked one of my posts. It was like a big deal for me. And I'm interviewing you. So I feel I'm fangirling here. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, no, it's been nice to share that space together for so long. I feel like we've all been doing our part to lift up healing and wellness on the internet. No, absolutely. And I would love to know how you got into writing, how you got into specifically like spirituality and writing more about um, self-love and self-discovery. It was really through the great avenue of misery. <laughs> the best <laughs> avenue, that, some yeah. may say. The best, most welcoming avenue. Yeah, no, I was a hot mess when I was in my early 20s and literally just pushed my body to the brink where I was constantly partying, always trying to evade my emotions by going from one party to another, from one friend group to another, and consuming all these different sorts of intoxicants like alcohol, different types of drugs, and just like doing my best to not embrace the emotions that were arising and passing on the inside. And that led to like a screeching halt where I hit rock bottom and um, almost lost my life. And in that moment, I realized that I need to pay attention to what's happening inside of me. And I started doing that serious work where I started changing my habits. I started connecting better with people by being more intentional, trying to spend time with my emotions, even though it was hard. A year later, I started meditating. And then after I did a few meditation retreats, I realized that this creativity was waking up inside of my mind that I didn't really have access to before. And then I started writing. I did not know that story at all. That is such a beautiful story. When did you realize then that you make a career out of this? I was really, we're talking early days of Instagram, right? So I had a feeling that I should write. And it's, it came to me in 2013 because I started noticing that all the meditating that I was doing was like literally changing how my mind worked. And, yeah. and I felt like the healing was happening, but 
this was before people were even really talking about self-love or the different healing modalities that are much more commonly talked about on social media now. And so I was surprised by all that healing. And I think I wanted to give it words. Like I knew I wasn't perfectly healed or perfectly wise or anything like that. I was just on my way like everybody else. But I was really inspired by that first generation of Instagram writers. I'm talking like Rupi Kaur, R.M. Drake, Bu Taplin, like people who were like first putting their stuff up in words, in an image. And like I always think of myself as a second generation Instagram writer. And, uh, and I, came, I came after that first wave and started sharing my stuff in 2015. But I had a feeling I was like, well, I think if I put together a manuscript, I don't think anyone's going to want to publish it. So let me just share little pieces of it online and see if people like it. Because if people like it, then I can self-publish and just make my own way. And that's actually what ended up happening was in 2017, I self-published the first edition of Inward. And, and then after that, it got re-released into bookstores by a real publisher. Wow. That is such an incredible story, such an incredible journey. I want to go back to this transformative experience you had. I just, I don't know, I'm shocked right now because I'm like... Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't want to be dumping all that no, on you. No, 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 this is wonderful. This is why yeah. we discuss and we share. And I love that people are going to get to know this about you because I just thought, oh, like he's probably always been like a very zen, no. very chill person, <laughs> like... He's always just looked inward. So going back to that experience, were there words, were there books or quotes or anything that kind of got you through that opened up your mind in ways and like, how do you see things you weren't seeing before? Yeah, that's a nice question. Um, I remember like right after that moment happened, I started trying to just learn more. And I think the first two books that stood out to me were the Bhagavad Gita. I read a translation of it by Eknath the Swaran. And that was like mind blowing to me because I grew up in a very, I grew up Roman Catholic. So my conception of the universe and how things worked was very in that mode. So reading the Bhagavad Gita just opened the door to like how other people thought around the world. And it just like in some ways, it's not like something that I, it's not like a text that I adhere to, but I, it just inspired me to expand the way that I think in terms of possibility. And also at a similar time, I read Siddhartha by Herman Hess. And I was late to the game because Siddhartha by Herman Hess is often given to like middle schoolers or like when <laughs> early high school, but I had never gotten it. And when I read it, it was just the most eloquent mixture of lyrical prose combined with wisdom. And, and to me, it was like a book that I've read probably like seven, eight times now that I go back to whenever I need feel, whenever I feel like my writing is getting a little too simple, like it helps bring beauty back into my writing. I love that. Are there specific messages from either of those literary works or they're more like really guides, I would say, yeah. um, that stood out to you in particular? Yeah. The message in the, um, in Siddhartha that was really striking that, it was funny because I read it before I really started meditating seriously. But there's this moment in that book where they're talking about this. These two people are talking about this river that's in front of them and how if you look at the river at any point, 
if you were to give it another second or two, it's never going to be the same river because it's constantly flowing, constantly changing. And they were talking about that truth of impermanence. And when I started meditating, that's all it was. Like it was all about trying to literally understand impermanence within the framework of the body. And and it's, it was funny how these days when I think about what I'm learning the most, it's just that I'm just trying to embrace change more and more deeply. I love that. When you were going through all this too, I will venture to say, maybe I'm incorrect though, that this is probably, I mean, being close to losing your life was probably the hardest time of your life. Was there, what was the biggest lesson or takeaway that you would say you had from that period of your life? I think the the biggest takeaway was that it's just possible to come back from it. I felt like I was just stuck for so long and stuck in these moves of like, okay, the moment that I feel a strong emotion that I don't want to feel, I'll roll another joint or I'll try to find another party to go to, or I'll do a ton of different hard drugs. And I felt stuck like that for five years. And there came that point where it was almost like being scared straight. Like I was like, oh, well, this is it. If I don't do anything now, it's over for me. And I was really just kind of shocked and I felt empowered by the fact that I was like, okay, I don't want to go out like this and I want to try to live in a new way. And from one moment to the next, I literally just flipped another chapter of my life and I haven't gone back. And now it's like that old version of myself. It almost feels like a different life where I don't even think of myself as a recovering addict or anything like that. It was just like, I did that for a while and now it's done and now I'm living a new life. I love that. Our human resilience and the ability of humans to move forward from tragedy, from hardship is something that will continually shock me, I think, throughout my life. I just can never, it will never not put me in awe. Yeah. And we can do it, right? We have the power to just change, to transform, to build new habits, to just literally build a new life from the ground up. Absolutely. That leads me into my next question, our favorite question on the show. Do you have a best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? Oh, wow. That's really good. One piece of advice that I got when I was, when I did my first silent 10 day retreat in the Goenka tradition, it was the summer of 2012. And I didn't think of myself still as very strong back then. Like I did have, I did stop doing hard drugs, but I was still just still a little bit lost and just still trying to find myself. And I walked into this silent 10 day retreat and I realized like right before it began, I was like, oh no, this is going to be terribly difficult. And this one guy who I've never seen since, I don't know where he is now, but he had done it once before and he was doing his second one. And I asked him for advice and he told me, he just told me two words. He was like, be strong. And those two words carried me through that retreat because it was incredibly difficult for someone who was so bad at spending time with, like I was so bad at spending time with myself and being with my emotions. There was nothing else for you to do would be with yourself during these silent 10 days. You weren't talking to anybody else. You're constantly turning your attention inward, feeling your body, being aware of your breath, and you're just being with whatever's there. And sometimes it's whatever is there is quite heavy and hard. And yeah, those words really got me through. It's funny how something so simple can become so difficult. I think with meditation, every time I try it, it feels impossible for even two minutes. I'd be interested to know your thoughts. I feel like we have just a huge issue as a generation with being still and being with ourselves. Sometimes I have to really, I have to be like, you know what, I'm gonna, like, if I can just watch a movie without also being on my phone, it's like, oh, I I really did well today. I was being super present. Or like, honestly, just being away from my phone or TV for any extended period of time or anything that stimulates me. Do you have concerns about how little we really look inward nowadays? Yeah, totally. We're a generation 
that is just constantly distracted because all these companies that are worth billions of dollars and the ones that are not, they're all just literally competing for our attention. And when we are sitting there on our phone, we immediately forget that this simple, cool looking little app, whatever one we may be using, took millions and millions of dollars to be developed. And then they're using these super powerful algorithms to get you to just grab your attention more and more. And it's tough. We have a huge problem being still. And I mean, the rise of social media immediately coincides with the rise of these huge spurts of loneliness, of depression, of increase in suicide rates. You know, it's it's bad. There's a lot of harm that's being done by this growth in technology that doesn't really have a human heart, where it's just pursuing profit. And, and that, with that said, there have been a lot of beautiful positives to social media and obviously to the internet because we're so much more well-informed than we used to be and so much more connected in in an interesting way. But at the same time, we have a long ways to go into making our technology a lot more compassionate and designed in a way that doesn't hurt the human mind. So yeah, it's something that I'm definitely concerned about. It's incredible to me, though, because you do such a good job of maintaining such a huge following on social, which is really an app that does, like you said, it does a lot of incredible things, but also leads to quite detrimental things, especially when you're talking about taking time to be still, to look inward. What advice or tips do you have for people that have to deal with social? It's it's a part of reality. It's a part of our lives. But we also need to learn how to balance that with finding stillness and finding time away from it. Do you have any advice for people that are looking for that balance? Yeah, I think our whole conversation has been leading to this point, right, where you can look at stillness and find healing in it. And if you look at just constantly making your attention jump from one branch to another branch to another branch, like what they call the monkey mind in meditation, where you're just like bouncing, 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 that's not going to create any healing for you. That's just going to create more anxiety, more sort of tension and stress in the mind and what we have to do with ourselves. And that to me is like another thing that's like sort of awe-inspiring is like at the same time that the internet has exploded, connected the whole world and also created a lot of damage, it's the same time that all these healing tools have exploded all over the world. Like meditation is bigger than ever. Therapy is bigger than ever. There are so many modalities that are just like Neuroscience is constantly finding out all these different like simple little tricks that you can do to, you know, stop a panic attack, to balance out your mind, to breathe in particular ways. And I think we have to endow ourselves with practices to really try to build a practice that doesn't have to be overly complicated. And whether meditation is your thing or not, there's something out there for you that's going to help you stabilize your mind because it needs some degree of stillness. So the same way that you brush your teeth every day, that you shower, that you eat food that's good for you, it has to become part of your daily routine to have some sort of inner practice that helps you just release tension and stress in the mind so that you can come back to that stillness. You talk a lot about healing. I feel like a lot of your work is about healing. Now, understanding your backstory, I very much so understand why that (laughs) hits home to you. But I think it's home to everyone because I think life is just a process of mourning and grief and then subsequent healing. Where, though, have you found, do you feel the most healing in your life? That's really, that's a nice question. I think it's been interesting. I feel like And not to just go back to the same subject, but I think it's in these meditation retreats that I go to because I started in 2012, but I've been meditating now seriously since now for 11 years. And I go to 10 day retreats, 20 day retreats, 30 day retreats, 45 day retreats. It all sort of 
depend on what my year is like, but I'll usually go to a few retreats a year. And I make this like the center point of my life because I know from evidence in my in my own life that it has dramatically improved my relationship with my wife. It's dramatically released the tension in my mind. It's helped me connect with my parents better. It's helped me write multiple books. It's been everything. So I like to create and to produce and to make sure that the things that I make are in service of people. But to be able to do that, I have to take care of myself. So yeah, I take meditation pretty seriously. And I do want to say like, whenever if anyone's listening and thinking what something what like what you said earlier about two minutes, and you're so bad at it, we're all bad at it. That's the <laughs> point of it is we're all really bad at it. But that's why we got to try to build that quality. Absolutely. I know that a lot of people when they meditate, they have big realizations. And I think people get that in different ways. Like I'm religious and I pray and I feel like when I pray, things come to my mind that I just haven't been thinking of. Do you have a realization that you've had while meditating that kind of was just like this big aha moment? Well, I think it comes a number of times. The two kind of big ones that stand out to me is one is the truth of that we're here, but we're also not here in the sense that Chrissy and Diego are having a conversation right now. And that's true. But at the same time, what am I fundamentally at the ultimate level? It's just mental and physical phenomena, like interacting at incredibly rapid speeds. We're talking like at the subatomic level. And it makes it feel like my ego is real, but it's not. It's not fundamentally real. And I think loosening up my sense of identity and having those experiences over and over again, where it's like, oh, yeah, you're not like, don't cling to this idea of Diego, because it's so temporary, it's not going to last forever. So loosen up, relax, allow yourself to have changing preferences, allow yourself to evolve to just continue growing in a much more organic manner, as opposed to clinging to this one idea of who you are. And I think that's been like really helpful for my mental health. I love that. I mean, I feel like that realization just follows the pattern that you've been discovering throughout your life from what we've talked about. And it reminds me, I think I've shared this quote before, but it's, you're under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. Totally. And I love that because I really do feel like we base so many of our actions on the fact that this is how we acted yesterday towards this. So we have to act the same way today. Or I think a lot of it is, well, this person expects me to act this way. So that's yep. how I have to act. And I think it's so liberating to realize that you don't. Nope. You can shock people at any moment. You can shock yourself at any moment. And that's the beauty of life. And that's the beauty of growth and being human. I love that. Yeah. And it feels like you don't want to get stuck in a play. Right. When you're like yeah. with a particular person and you're both playing the same roles and saying the same lines and you'll feel like the relationship may be stagnant if it's the relationship with your father or mother or, or best friend or whatnot. But when you decide to do something different within that play between the two of you, then that gives the other person also the opportunity to do something different. And you can start discovering and sort of like, you know, finding new ways that you can connect with these people that you love in your life. Absolutely. And I think we fear that change because our minds have just adjusted to the fact that while we know, you know, we're very logical beings, we know that if we act a certain way, someone else will receive it that way. So if someone likes us, we're going to continue yeah. to act in the way that we did so that they will continue to like us. And yeah. I think we have to let go of that, especially the people that love us will love us how whatever chapter we are on of our lives. You, you literally so aptly described the influencer's dilemma. And I don't know if this is what it's called. But like people will like you for a particular thing that you do and you'll yeah. just you'll end up getting stuck writing about the same thing or producing the same type of videos. And it's you just keep grinding into this one subject just because, you know, 
it gets the most views. And I think that's one of the dangers of a lot of the different creators that are out there because then you just get stuck in this pretty uncreative mode where you're just, instead of creating, you're actually just replicating. Absolutely. I could lie and say I haven't felt that. I totally have though. Like I have this very specific style, this very, and and I'm like, well, I can't change. Like that's kind of how, that's my shtick now. How have you navigated that? I think just like you just take the hit. Like, you know, if I'm using the same format over and over again or talking about the same subjects, you know, there's a balance where you have to do, you know, you can get a sense after you spend a while online of what would be popular. It's just like musicians. Musicians will sometimes build albums and they'll have two songs that are very intentionally popular and other songs that are more, much more meaningful to them as artists. And it's the same thing when you're developing a book where it's like, okay, you can try to develop a hit, share those things online, but the, your real fans, your real audience that will come and support you, they're going to come for the substance. So I'm constantly trying to remind myself of that and be like, okay, well, if this only got X number of likes, at least people really felt it. It doesn't always have to yeah. be about the biggest number possible. Absolutely. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. And also, one post one post doesn't make or break you. So that's a really important thing to understand. That is true too, even though it might feel like it. Yeah. Anyone who's posted <laughs> something on social and it doesn't get the response you want, especially when you're like super proud of it and it's a message yeah. that really resonated with you and then people don't like it. It's human nature. You just feel so like gut punched. Yeah, but sometimes you forget too that it was Mother's Day and it was just a bad, it was a bad yeah. time to release something because everybody's posting about their mom. <laughs> That's so true. It sounds yeah. like that may have happened to you once or twice. I have been, I'm so careful with holidays because I know what's going to happen. Like, yeah, we yeah. should all be celebrating our moms, you know? Like, <laughs> No, it's so true. And honestly, I think your audience online goes back to your audience in real life and that growth. And I think a good audience will understand that you're not, especially when it's been this long, you, it's been since 2015, it's been since 2018 for me. We're not the same people that we were when we started our pages. And that's normal and that's good. And that's what's supposed to happen. So our work is going to change as we change. And I think rational human beings understand that. Yeah, I was really inspired by you when you started dropping the podcast. I was like, what is Christy doing? Oh. I was like, this is a big shift. No pun intended. I, oh, wow. So we called it, literally called the shift. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I was so like inspired by what you were doing because when I've been talking to my other friends, you know, Nadra Tawa, Balexel, like people that I speak to regularly, you know, they've been online for as long as us, but everyone sort of feels like, okay, we all need to evolve because we can't just have the shtick, this like one thing that, you know, people want us for because we're all like expansive human beings. We we have different stories to tell. Yeah, absolutely. It's like finding a way to tell that story in a way that still feels very authentic to, you know, you want to thank and give gratitude to the people that have followed you for a specific reason. So you want to keep giving them and giving that audience what they're looking for and what they came to your page for, but in different and unique ways. And I think finding that is just really challenging sometimes. Yeah, totally. But you have to take a risk with each step. Yeah. You've got to take a risk. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Then you just yeah. either delete it or let it sit there. But then you keep going. And I think the risks eventually end up paying off. You have a new book coming out, mm-hmm. The Way Forward. It's coming out in October. So people don't have to wait too long. Tell us a little bit about it and also share like your favorite chapter, your favorite quote from it. I would love to give people a teaser if possible. Sure. Yeah. So the way forward is the culmination of the inward trilogy. So my first book was called inward. And then I had another one called clarity and connection. And the first one was about personal development. And it was hyper minimalistic, like real a slim book. 
The next one was more about a deeper version of personal development plus relationships. And I knew that it wasn't quite done what I wanted to say in that format. I don't know if I'm going to write any more poetry and prose books after The Way Forward. But when I put together The Way Forward, I was like, this is it. This is what was missing. Because to me, those three books are, they feel like one book. And um, even though they were made like over such a long span of time and the way forward continues that sort of personal development relationship arc. But at the same time, it focuses in on intuition and values, because to me, it feels like the world is constantly changing, like what's in, what's out, what's popular, what's, you know, everything's constantly moving. But then who are you in all of that movement and how, what do you stand for? What do you want to talk about? How do you guide yourself? as things keep changing. And to me, that felt really important to include in, in that trilogy. So the way forward, it'll be out October 10th. And I'm pretty excited about it because I feel like um, I think it's like the best one of those three. That's beautiful. Do you have a favorite? They're all basically like poems and beautiful yeah, poems. Yeah. Do you have a favorite poem from it? Yes. Let me read you one right now. Yeah, I'm so excited. So this one's in the first chapter. And it goes, um, I thought the trauma had broken me, but really it gave my life direction. The toxicity made me embrace communication and honesty. The manipulation made me realign with my power. The narcissism showed me that selflessness is needed. The chaos taught me to build boundaries. The hurt showed me that healing and rebirth are possible. So beautiful. It Every one of your books feels like a meditative experience, truly. I know that this one will be no exception. I'm so excited for it. The last message that I would love for you to share, you are always so full of wisdom, and I would just love to know what you would say to someone. They come to you, and they're like, Diego, life has been so hard for me lately, and yeah. I don't know how to pay homage to your book. I'm going to move forward. What would you tell them? I would tell them two main things. One is that it's all about tiny steps forward. You got to not only take these tiny steps, but celebrate them along the way. And you'll find that after each step, after each step, you're accomplishing one sort of either medium hard thing or actual hard thing every day that that over time, over two, three, four, five, six months, eight months, you're a whole different person. So don't expect that if you're going through a tough time, that you need to overhaul your entire life in one big, gigantic, dramatic fashion, that usually doesn't work. We need time to be able to stabilize our new habits so that they become ingrained inside of us. So, you know, pick a few things, work on them, make them strong inside you until they become second nature. And then another thing, you keep sort of chipping away at, at the way that you want to transform. And the other aspect of it is the same way that people have gratitude practices where they wake up and think of a few things that they're grateful for, or they go to sleep and they think about a few things that they're grateful for, try to, at least at the intellectual level, remind yourself that everything is always changing. And this will inspire you to be more present in the relationships that you have, because you don't know how long these things will last. You don't know how long you'll have your parents or your loved ones or you know, if the situation that you're currently in, how long that situation will last for. So be there, enjoy it, be with the people that you love and give them as much of your attention as possible in the moment that you're sharing with them because you don't know when it will change. I love all those things. Beautiful, profound, per usual. Diego, thank you so much for joining us. Your book is coming out October 10th, The Way Forward. But let us know how we can pre-order, where we can follow you, keep up with the rest of your work. Sure. Yeah. 
you can pre-order The Way Forward on Amazon and at your local bookstore. You can ask them and they can, you know, have a copy sent to them the day it comes out. And um, the place where I'm having the most fun right now is on Substack. So you can follow my Substack and that's more long form pieces that I share with people. That's at yungpueblo.substack.com. And of course, on Instagram at yung underscore pueblo. I love everyone. Go follow Young Pueblo if you don't already. If you're not part of the 3 million people, become part of the 3 million people. Thank you so much for joining us, Diego. Thank you for all your wisdom and for sharing such personal, beautiful stories. I said it at the beginning, but I mean it just as much now. You are making the world better for all of us. So thank you. That's so kind of you. Thank you so much, Christy. And thank you for creating such a beautiful platform. Oh, you know, just trying to keep up with the ones who started it all, man. (laughs) (laughs) To everyone who listened, who is watching, who tuned in, thank you so much for joining us on The Shift.